I do. Give that guy a hand, would you? I don't know if he told this, you know, but he's fresh off of a trip with an overnighter with a bunch of junior hires. So the fact that he's still vertical and standing and talking, that's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. Hey, got your Bibles? Go ahead and turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 3 today. That's where we're going to start. And while you're turning there, I want to say a couple of things. First of all, um, tomorrow at 1230, right after our third service, we are having a, uh, a, a Holy Land Tour inquiry meeting. We've been kind of announcing this for a while, um, that we're going to be taking a, a trip to Israel. And that trip's still over a year away from now, but we've got to have time to prepare for that. And so what I'd like to do is my wife and I are going to be leading this trip. And what we'd like to do is we'd like to just rally up anybody that has any interest at all. Like, that's something I would like to do, and we'd like you to come to this meeting. Um, register on the app. Let us know you're coming tomorrow. If for some reason that you, you want to go, but, but tomorrow is just out of the question, you can't make it, Please go ahead and register anyway, because those that register that aren't at the meeting, we're going to go ahead and contact you and get you information anyway. And so if you have any interest at all of going to a, on a Holy Land tour with my wife and I, it's going to be uh, over a year from now. But like I said, come to this meeting. I'm going to tell you all about it. Like I, I see Jim and Nancy right there. They, we went together to the Holy Lands back in 2017, and it was life-changing, wasn't it? That's right, life changes. If you want to know what it's like, go talk to Jim and Nancy. Don't let them leave here today until 10 people talk to you. No, I'm, I'm kidding. But, but really, we can take however many people that want to go. We can fill up a bus or two if we want to. So there's room for you, but I'd like to talk to you about it, just show, tell you what it's going to be like, give you some details. And that's tomorrow at 1230, and I'd love to connect with you. Also, I just want to make an observation about tonight. As I look out at you, I see a great crowd of people here tonight. And, and I don't know how many of you were here the very first day we started Saturday night. Is there anybody in here that was, that this is the service you've known for like the last year? Okay. You know, when we were dreaming and praying and thinking about like, God, what would you have us to do? And, and we really felt like he was leading us to start Saturday night. We'd never done that before. We didn't know if that was going to work. And, and we started it. And then after the launch was over and we settled out, there was about 60 folks coming to that regular, regularly. That's a hard one for me. Regularly. And look at us now. Look at what God has done here just in the last year and a half. And, and how many, just out of curiosity, I can't talk to Sunday morning crowd like this. We can talk like this because it's a little different. How many of you have started coming to church here in the last year, year and a half? How many of this brand new? And was Saturday night the night you came? Saturday, I mean, it's awesome. You know, I'll just tell you this quick story because I feel like I have extra time with you tonight. Um, um, I remember we were at a chili cook-off. Um, back in like 2016, 2017, somewhere back in there. And chili cook-off is something that we used to do when we used to be able to cram everybody in this room. It was a lot of fun. And I remember uh, we used those chili cook-off events to kind of share vision and, and get ideas and get input from the church. And I remember we had the fire department out here to judge our chili. I don't remember who won that night, uh, but um, Terry Cruiser always thought that he had the best chili of anybody. And, you know, so whether he won or not, he told you he should have won, whether he did or not. But I remember along that back wall, we had four firemen standing there. None of them came to our church. And I remember I threw out this question that night. I said, hey, hypothetical. We're thinking, you know, what if we started a Saturday night service? How many of you would come to that? And like 30, 40 hands went up, which was more than I was expecting. But one of those four firemen raised his hand on the back wall. And I was like, I didn't even see anybody else. I saw him. And I'm like, that's why the Lord wants us to do it, 
right there. Because there's a lot of people in our community that can't come on Sunday mornings. Their schedule's crazy. There's a desire to connect with the church family and know the Lord. If we open up an, that opportunity, then who knows what the Lord will do. And that, that, just, that just really resonated with me. And I think maybe the Lord had me see that for that specific reason. And so that was kind of like, let's do it. Let's do, let's do it for the firemen in our community. And, uh, and so seeing you all here tonight, I mean, I'll tell you, it just really just encourages me. And just see how this service has grown. Who knows? Maybe one day this is going to grow where we're going to have to have two Saturday night services. You know, wouldn't that be an awesome thing? That would be fantastic. We'll just see what the Lord does with that. Well, hey, we are in the third week of our series out of the book of 1 Timothy. And if you have been with us for the past several of weekends, then you know that we are learning, obviously, about a man named Timothy. We know that he was a close personal friend of the Apostle Paul. We saw that when we studied through the book of Acts. And we also know that Timothy is overseeing the Christians, the church, in the city of Ephesus. And this church is in complete disarray. In fact, let's be more specific. The entire church is a complete mess. You know, as we study this, it's a messy church. Do you remember what happened? People in the church were doing what? They were teaching false doctrine. People were taking scripture out of context. They were making it mean things it was never intended to mean. Um, people were believing these strange beliefs. They were following after these weird genealogies as a, as a misguided uh, use of scripture. And there were these myths and they were elevating myths as scripture. All this crazy stuff. We know that the men in the church, when they gathered for worship, they were fighting and they were quarreling. And we know that the eyes of these Christians were off of Jesus. And what were they more on? Hairstyles and expensive clothing and jewelry. Church, we kind of get the impression, had become a fashion show among the ladies. All I'm telling you, all the wrong reasons for being a part of a church were on full display in the city of Ephesus. So as a result of that, people were being led astray. Some people had shipwrecked their faith. False teaching has done a real number on this church. And if you were to read the rest of 1 Timothy, I know some of you had, you get the impression as we get into chapter 5 that possibly even some of the elders of the church had fallen into sin and maybe were a part of this false teaching that was going on. They had become part of the problem. The leaders of the church were involved in this stuff. According to Ephesians chapter 5, verse, or excuse me, um, um, 1 Timothy uh, 5.20. So Timothy is there to set things straight, get things in order. And the first order of business, Paul told him, Timothy, you get in there and do what? Command people to stop teaching false doctrines. Right there, the, the first couple verses of the entire letter. Get their focus back on Jesus. Get the mission of the church back on saving lost people. Well, as we continued into chapter 2, Paul had some correctional instructions uh, for their worship gatherings. Because we learned in chapter 2, their worship gatherings were kind of a mess. Now, this also included some very specific instructions that were just for men and some very specific instructions that were just for women. And, and I want to say something again that I said last week, so I know a number of you weren't here. That as you go through chapter three and you, or 2 and you get into chapter 3 where we're going today, that these specific instructions that were for men and some were for women is really a reflection of God's order and authority in the church. It has nothing to do with value and ability. And I want to keep pounding that drum. This is about God's order and authority. It has nothing to do with value or ability. And all over the pages of the Bible, it becomes so clear, it's so, so visible and so clear that God values both genders, both men and women, equally. 
But as we study throughout the New Testament, what we learn is how God designed things, the way he created things, the way he ordered things is really a reflection of his heart of how men and women were made to complement each other. It's just God's design. So this order of complementary roles, it's seen in God's design for the home. It is seen in God's design for the church. So part of Timothy's mission is to bring the worship gatherings back into order, get them back focused on Jesus. And as we move into chapter 3 today, Timothy is also to bring some order and authority to the leadership of the church. So you got chapter 3 open. Let's start with verse 1. This is what he says. So we transitioned out of worship gatherings. Now we're talking about leadership and structure in the church. He said, here is a trustworthy saying. This is now the second time that Paul has started out by saying, this is trustworthy. It's almost like saying, pay really close attention. I mean, pay attention, but pay really close attention. This is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now, let me just acknowledge a real temptation when you come to 1 Timothy chapter 3 in your study. And maybe this was your temptation too. I, I don't, really don't know. But the temptation is to come to a chapter like this in, in the Bible and then the temptation is just to skip it altogether. And I can tell you why that temptation is there. Because if you've read ahead, you already know the whole chapter is about elders and leaders in the church. And you might be tempted to think this thought. Well, that doesn't sound very exciting. And you know what, I, I don't think that really has anything to do with my life because I'm not an elder. I don't ever plan on being a leader in the church, so maybe I'll just stay home today. Maybe that's a temptation when you come to this chapter. Well, first of all, I am so glad that you didn't choose to skip it or to skip church tonight. That's, I want to let you know that. I also want you to know that no matter who you are and no matter how you serve in the body of Christ, church leadership matters. Do you agree with me? I hope so. And I hope we, we take this chapter very seriously. No matter where you serve, no matter how you serve Jesus, no matter what your role is in this church, church leadership matters. And this chapter speaks clearly to that. We as a church family, we must be grounded in the Lord's vision for the leadership of his church. So when we come to 1 Timothy, where it's all about this kind of stuff, you can also read the book of Titus, you can read 1 Peter, you can read the book of Hebrews, and you can read the book of Acts. Collectively, they help us capture the Lord's vision for the leadership of the church. Now, I can tell you why this is really important. If anything that 1 Timothy has shown us, it has shown us that it's an example of what can happen when church leaders become very casual about God, about holiness, and about mission. Isn't that true? If Timothy teaches anything, it's what happens when leaders don't do their job or when leaders get off track. When you know, the, the church is going to sh fall short if the leaders are not committed to holiness and and, and become casual about God. It opens them up to all kinds of things. Church leadership matters. And 1 Timothy exemplifies that truth. I've heard this said many times, and I'm assuming that you have as well. It's this. Everything rises and falls on leadership. Have you heard that before? Well, let's assume that's true. I believe it's true. I believe there is a lot of truth in it. So if that's true, that everything rises and falls on leadership, 
How important does our understanding of the Lord's vision of church leadership laid out in 1 Timothy 3 become if that is a true statement? I would say it is a very important thing for us to know. So I want you to know this, and I know it's kind of a lot of introduction here, but, but I want to acknowledge a reality that I believe exists in this room for many of you. It may not apply to everybody, but I think it's a reality for many of us. For quite a few of you, New life is not your first church experience. How many of that's true? New life is not your first church experience. Now, you can leave your hands up if it's obviously the best experience you've ever had. No, I'm kidding. I'm just, I'm joking. I'm just kidding. Kind of. But just by the show of hands, it, it's, a, it's a reality that many of us have had different um, experiences, different church experiences coming into New life. And I'm going to assume a lot of those experiences have been very positive. They've been very positive. But sadly, I'm going to also assume, and I think this is true, that some of you with hands raised could also say they haven't always been positive, which is why I'm here. And I think some of you could say, you know what, I have been hurt by a church leader before. In some very extreme cases, and maybe you have even seen this in other churches, that hurt got so deep, it was so rough and, and, and traumatic that there are people who used to be very faithful to church and faithful to the Lord, they, aren't even, they don't even care about it anymore. You know, and I think the reality is that can happen. I come back to church leadership matters. There's probably a good chance that those of you that have experienced great hurt probably by church leaders, who, if I had to guess, probably should have never been church leaders to begin with. I hope that you can find new life at new life. And I hope that you can find forgiveness in your heart for whatever has happened. And to know that even on our very best days, church leaders are still fallible people. And I, and I hope that together we can go in unity. We don't always make the right decisions. But no matter who you are or how you serve in the body of Christ, church leadership matters. Now, there's a couple of foundational truths that I want you to know and understand today. Some of these are in 1 Timothy. Some of these are a collection from other places in Scripture that speak about, about leadership. But I think they're so foundational, we just need to spend time with it before we finish off the, the rest of 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you're taking notes, it'd be great. They're going to be on the screen. They're in the app if, if you want to visit those later, if you don't have them in front of you. But I believe there's four foundational truths about church leadership. And the first one is this. Excuse me, there's three. I'm going to give you three. I'm going to give you four other principles later. Buckle up, baby. <laughs> so these three foundational truths, the first one is this, church leadership is designed by God. When you examine scripture, it becomes very clear, it's designed by God. This is not designed by mankind. So what we have to do as a church, we have to be careful not to impose our own leadership structures onto what God has already designed. And clearly given to us. Second foundational truth is this. God designed church leadership to be a display of his glory. Now just go with me on this and think about it. God designed church leadership to be a display of his glory. Those who lead the church are a visible display of that glory that I'm referring to. People look at their leaders, and through them, they see a display of God's glory, and they see a model of what a Christian should be like. Third foundational truth about leaders in the church is this. Lead, church leadership is designed to, de to be dependent on 
the gospel. Nothing that we're going to learn today from 1 Timothy 3 is possible without the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you think about character qualifications, that's what 1 Timothy 3 is all about. When you see these character qualifications, when you see these roles described in the Bible and these responsibilities that church leaders have, it is only possible because of Christ living inside of people. So the church leadership is designed to be dependent on the gospel. Without the word of God, it all falls apart. So nothing we're going to learn today is separated from God's word. So let's look back at 1 Timothy chapter 3. Let's look at verse 1 again. What's it say? Here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Let's start with that word overseer. What does that word mean exactly? Well, I can tell you for the sake of time, I could outline all this for you, but I'm just going to ask you to trust me on this, but you can go find this out on your own. But for the sake of time, please know that in the New Testament, whenever you see the word overseer or pastor or the word elder, they are used interchangeably to describe the same position. You read through, there's some, there's, some, there's some passage of Scripture that names these different titles, and they're all talking about the same thing in the very same few verses. So when you see overseer, when you see pastor, you see elder, it's the same role, biblically speaking. Also in the New Testament, the term elder almost always occurs in the plural. It's always elders. Now certainly there's individuals in the New Testament, we look at them all the time. Timothy is a great example. There are individuals that are elevated into special leadership roles, but when it comes to the elders and the descriptions of the elders of the church, it's always more than just one of them. So the picture that gets painted in scripture is that when you talk about elders, it is not a dictatorship at all. It is not a democracy either. Instead, Christ entrusts leadership to a group of men to oversee the church. So I want you to see this in Scripture. You come across overseer, pastor, elder. We're talking about the same group. When you talk about elders, it's in the context of plurality. There's a grouping of elders. This is how God designed. It's not supposed to be led by one person. Who's the one person that leads the church? That's Jesus. And so you have a plurality of leaders. So... As we keep thinking through, as we kind of lay the foundation for what the Bible talks about leadership, God has entrusted his church to these elders. So we ask the question, what is it that overseers, what is it that elders do from a biblical point of view? Well, I'd like for you to quickly turn over to Acts chapter 20. You might even have this bookmark because this seems like a chapter in the Bible that we reference a lot around here. But I would like for you to quickly turn to Acts chapter 20. And uh, we're going to come at this discussion today about elderships from several different places because there's more than one place that talks about it in the Bible. So in Acts chapter 20, let me remind you the context. Paul is on his way back to Jerusalem. He makes a stop very close to the city of Ephesus where he lived three years. And he called upon the elders of the church in Ephesus. Many of them the same elders who now Timothy is leading five to eight years later. And he has a meeting with him and he, and he says this to them. Let's read it together. Look at verse 28. Chapter 20, verse 28. Keep watch over yourself and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. 
Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now, hopefully this sounds familiar. I think we've referenced these very verses several times just in the last few weeks together. In these few verses, we start to see some of these responsibilities of what elders do start to be be laid out very clearly. In fact, as I read these verses, I see that, that Paul is laying out to these Ephesian elders four very clear responsibilities that elders have for the church. First responsibility I see is right here in verse 28. They lead under the authority of the Holy Spirit. You know, the full teaching of the, of the New Testament, it's clear that Christ is the head of the church. We need to make sure we establish, where is Jesus in all this? He is the head of the church. Jesus is the final authority, and we all surrender to the Lord. But what seems obvious from Scripture is that elders are entrusted by Christ with the responsibility of, of, of overall leadership of the local congregation. And Paul is referring to the fact that it was the Holy Spirit that made them overseers. And I want you to know, here at our church, here at New Life, that's how we see it as well. The Lord very much appoints the men by the Spirit of God. Becoming an elder, it is not a political process. And unfortunately, many churches have, ad have adopted a political process in selecting their elders. That's, that's never an example in Scripture. It's a prayerful, Holy Spirit-led process. Nobody campaigns to become an elder. That's not the kind of an appointment that's talked about in the Bible. It's not a campaign. It's not like we're running for office here. That's, that's not what it is. We believe here at New Life from Scripture that, that the Lord sets aside, He appoints men as elders. We kind of went through this process recently, and I'm really happy to tell you that last week we affirmed two new elders. Jeff and Gary were both affirmed with overwhelming affirmation, and uh, where I, the way I described it is, it feels like through all of this, the Lord is shining a spotlight on these two men. They didn't pursue it. They were not campaigning. It's none of that. It's like the Lord is setting this aside through prayer, through recommendation of the congregation and all of those things. So because of that, he leads by the Spirit. An elder is appointed by the Spirit. He leads by the Spirit as Christ is the head of the church. And we say like this, elders truly are the epitome of servant leaders. They serve under the authority of Christ. They serve the congregation they serve. That's what an elder is. It's a servant leader. Second thing that I see in these few verses in Acts chapter 20 is that the responsibility of an elder is to care for the body of Christ. Acts chapter 20 verse 28 kind of paints this picture. Well, it does more than kind of. It paints this picture of an elder being a shepherd. Do you see the language there in the scripture? This isn't the only place where it talks about overseers being shepherds. Shepherds do what? They care for their flock. And so Paul is like, you guys need to be shepherds of God's church. So what does that look like for an overseer to be a shepherd of the flock, which is a common way of referring to the church? So the shepherd over the flock, the shepherd, the elder over the congregation. Well, first and foremost, I can tell you what an elder does. He protects the flock. That's what a shepherd does, doesn't he? He protects his flock from, from, from what? Wild animals. So a shepherd, he protects. 
They're on guard. What did Paul tell these elders in Acts chapter 20? He said, when I leave, what's going to happen? Savage wolves are going to come in. It's your job to protect the congregation. It's something that we take very seriously here as an eldership at our church. The elders are on the front line of spiritual warfare. That's what elders are. They're on the front lines. But not only do they protect the flock, but elders also nurture the flock. There's something about being a shepherd that is also a very nurturing role. There's this tremendous care component of what elders do. That is the elders' responsibility to see to it that the congregation, the flock, is adequately cared for. And there's a lot of ways that the elders oversee that care. I can tell you that our life groups is one of those ways. It's our first line of care in our congregation. There's more that we could say about all these things, but that's also part of it. But nurturing, it also kind of leads us right into the third responsibility of, of an elder or an overseer in the church. The third one is this, teach the word of Christ. Teach the word of Christ. I heard somebody say one time that the elder's responsibility is not just to pet the sheep, but to also feed the sheep. So elders are men who are equipped to build the church up through the word of God, because that's our food. God's word is the food that we feed. So an elder is tied to that word. What was the problem in Ephesus? They got away from the word of God. Isn't that fundamentally the problem? They got away from the word, and the result was what? The church became a mess. I, I see it like this, that if an elder knows the word and an elder obeys the word, then he is fit to be a leader in his church. But if that elder wanders from the word, he's no longer fit to lead the church. It's that simple. If he wanders from the word, he's no longer fit to be a shepherd. And that's what's happening in, in the book of 1 Timothy. The heart of this, and this is something we take very seriously here at New Life, is that we as leaders, our elders, they must know the Word extensively. So they study God's Word. They uh, they have an active uh, daily life with God where they study God's Word. They're growing. They memorize God's Word. They, They know what they believe. They know why they believe it from God's Word. These are men who will go to the Word and they'll address hard questions in the church from a biblical point of view. These are are men who know what the Word of God says on practical issues, such as family life and and how Christians interact with our culture, a number of social issues that are very hard to deal with at times in our culture. Our elders, elders are men who can handle the Word appropriately and guide the flock to the right answers. So elders know the Word. They are men who can communicate that word effectively. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're all going to stand up here and preach on on a Sunday morning or a Saturday night. But what it does mean is that that they have command of the word that they can effectively point somebody towards Jesus and help them navigate the, the strange world that we live in. They're able to instruct people in the word, plead with people from the word, Encourage people from the Word of God. Lead the church according to the Word of God. It's a responsibility of an elder. I see this fourth responsibility um, in, in the book of Acts. It's this. It's to model the character of Christ. That's what an elder does. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1-7 through 7 has a lot to say about this specific responsibility. So does Titus chapter 1, verse 5-9. through 9. So does 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1-3. through 3. 
These are a list of qualifications. These are a list of responsibilities that reflect the character of Christ through the life of an elder. So you got 1 Timothy open? Let's go back together and let's just read this list of responsibilities, these character qualities. It starts out by saying this. Look at verse 2, actually. Now, an, now the overseer is to be above reproach. Faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Can I ask you a question in light of what we just read? Does it surprise you to find out that almost everything that we just read in this list of qualifications is also expected of every Christian? Does this surprise you? I mean, maybe outside of being able to teach, the qualifications for living the Christian life and being a leader in the church are virtually one in the same. I mean, this context really could apply to any Christian. There is this calling in every single one of our lives. The day that we accepted Christ... And we're drawing off from getting baptized. I can tell you, there's this calling on your heart from that day forward that we're going to live wholeheartedly for Jesus. And this is one of the many places in the Bible, whether we're talking about elders or not, it talks about this description of being above reproach and living wholeheartedly for Jesus. Paul wrote in verse 1 that if any of you aspires to be an elder, then he desires a noble task. I can tell you that one of the reasons for why it is so noble and why so few should actually do it is because as an elder, you are modeling the character of Christ for the entire church. And that's 1 Timothy 3. It's, this is what you model. This is what an elder models. Now, you don't need to turn there. You can look at the screen, but it says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, Hebrews is another book that talks about elders, but it says this, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and do what? Imitate their faith. Friends, that is a lot of responsibility. Imitate their faith. So the reality right here is that Anyone who, who even desires to take on this role, it is a noble task, it is a heavy consideration, it's a heavy responsibility in Christ's church to serve in this way. Your life is an example of Christ's likeness to everybody who goes to church here. They're going to look to you as an elder. And so how, how you model that, I mean, it's a tremendous responsibility. I would say this, and I think you would agree, that an elder cannot lead the church somewhere he is not going himself. And that's where a lot of churches get in trouble. They're being led by people at times who are not willing to go where they are telling everybody to go. So what's very clear is an elder cannot lead the church somewhere he's not going himself. And I can tell you that I have been a preacher long enough to know just how true that is. And if you really wanted me to, I could give you dozens of examples 
of where this wasn't the case that I've lived through. I'll tell you something I'm happy about. This weekend marks the completion of my fifth year of ministry here at Bella Vista. You know, thank you. I appreciate that. I really just told you that so you'd clap. So, um, no, I'm kidding. But it's been five years this weekend. Completes my fifth year. And I want you to know that I've been preaching for over two decades now, but the last five years have been the best in my entire career. Absolutely the best. I love this church. I love being your preacher. I do. Thank you. I, I love being your preacher. I really do. I, and you guys have been like the most wonderful church on the planet. I, I, I listen to my friends ache and moan about their churches, and I just kind of sit in the corner and I'm like, mm, sorry. You know, I, I, I love my church. But, you know, in that time, in those five years, I have been through five rotations of elders. As, as many of you know that we rotate elders in and out every year. You know, it's never a stagnant group. It's not a once an elder, always an elder kind of thing here. And so we, we, every year we have one or two elders rotate off. We bring on um, a couple of elders. Robin Corder, right over here, he is rotating out. In fact, what do you got, Robin? Three more days and you're out of here? And so anyway, oh, you've got to, okay, all right. Robin is, is finishing out his three years as, as an elder. In the last two, he's been the chairman of our elders. I can tell you, he has served this church really well. You should be proud of him. But um, I can tell you that when praise is due, praise should be given. Right here at New Life Christian Church, you may not even know this. I hope you do, though, and if you don't, I'm going to tell you. You are being led by really good elders, the kind of elders that I'm describing here in this message. And it's a benefit to all of you. The Bible speaks about leaders who lead well. It's a benefit to you. And I can tell you that I've been through five rotations. I've loved every one of them. They've all been, been special. Not a one of them perfect because there's no such things. But New Life Christian Church are being led by godly men with great character. And I believe it's evidence in what's happening in the life of our church. So let me ask you a question. Considering this list of qualifications that we're looking at in Scripture, here's my question for us. What will happen if the church imitates leaders whose lives look like the ones that we're describing here in Scripture? What will happen? What will happen? Awesome things. Great things. Here at New Life, our process of somebody becoming an elder is quite slow. And I think you need to know that. Every year, and so we just went through this, we ask you as a congregation to submit names of men who you believe through your experience, whether in your life group or serving on a team or something, do you think this man would be a good elder of our church? He fits the things you're talking about, Joe. And so every year we ask you, please, and, and quite honestly, you can give us those names any time of the year. You don't have to wait for a certain season. But we do take a season and we, we ask you to give us these names and that is so valuable to us. But I also want you to know that it is not uncommon for it to take years for that to unfold. It can take years. It's a process that's, that's bound up in prayer. It's bathed in prayer. It's under the, the authority of the Lord. You know, there, there's men in our church that, that really are probably going to be elders here one day in a couple years. It's just not their time yet. 
And we let the Lord dictate those things. So it's kind of a slow process, and it's a weighty one for all the reasons you've heard me talk about here today. So I ask you as a church, continue to pray for our current leadership. Continue to pray for those that God is raising up to join maybe the next rotation or two of elders here at the church. But since the church is to imitate the faith of the leaders, there's some really important questions when we get to that as a church, when we think about who should be leading the church. And I'll break down these questions very quickly into four different categories. There's questions to ask about any man's personal life when it comes to being an elder. And here's some of those questions. Is he self-controlled? You can find these in, the, in Scripture. Is he self-controlled? Is he wise? Is he peaceful? Is he gentle? Is he a sacrificial giver? Is he humble? Is he patient? Is he honest? Is he disciplined? These are all questions that relate to character traits of leaders in scripture how about his family life is he an elder in his home remember i told you i think that god set up the order for the home and the church parallels the home and the bible speaks about how can a man be an elder if he's not even a leader in his home so that's a question is he an elder first in his home over his family if he's a single man is he a self-controlled man if he's married is he completely committed to his wife 100%? If he has children in the home, do they honor him? Do they respect him? There's things that we should ask as a church about an elder's social life and his business life. Is he kind? Is he hospitable? Is he a friend to strangers? Does he show favoritism? Does he have a blameless reputation? Not a perfect rep, but is he above reproach? That's the whole thing. There's another list of questions. This has to do with his spiritual life. Is he making disciples of all nations? Does he love God's word? Is he a man of prayer? Is he a holy person? Is he gracious? All those questions, which by the way, I listed every one of those out in the app, so if you're writing fast, you don't need to. Those are the questions we ask when it comes to leadership in the church. At the end of the day, Nobody can fulfill all these qualifications perfectly. Nobody. We're fallible people. But elders ought to live lives worth imitating. And their lives reflect the character of Jesus Christ. They need to know the word of God, teach the word of God, obey the word of God. Why? So that others will too. And this right here, my friends, is one of the main reasons why Paul sent Timothy to Ephesus to get things in order the way God sees them. May we also imitate these very things.